like, oh, you can do stuff that they don't want you to do. You just have to have a, you have to be fucking straight up about it. You have to not be, you know, like have a hidden agenda and not be trying to like, you know, rip somebody off or fuck somebody over. Prank, I mean, pranking, if you're a good prankster, you know, you have to be able to take a prank, you know. I mean, you're a sadist if you can't take a prank. That was John Law, former member of the Suicide Club. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, you'll hear from artists, writers, teachers, and other San Franciscans telling stories, sharing personal histories, and trying to put into words what makes this city so special. Welcome to episode 22, part two. In part one, John talked about his childhood of mischief and his journey to the Bay Area in the 70s. In this podcast, he talks about some of the things he's up to now, including urban exploration. He ends the podcast reflecting on what it's like to live, work, and play in San Francisco today. Here's John. I'm laying low and trying not to leave, a, leave any tracks. <laughs> um, well, I'm doing a bunch of things. Uh, as I was m- mentioned earlier in private conversation, I, uh, yeah, I'm 60 last year, and I've been doing, uh, well, I don't guess they call underground stuff since I was 18. I mean, I was doing it before that, but not, not, in, a, not in a group. Uh, I would say at this point in time, I was mentioning earlier, I have at least four and possibly five generations of crews that I've gone around with. So the first crews that I hung out with were when I was 18 and 19 and when I joined the Suicide Club. And everybody, most people in that group were, I'd say the average age was 26. So they were a lot older than me. Um, I was doing events almost immediately and I, I could grow a mustache so people thought I was older, but I was a kid. I was just a fucking teenager. But I, got, I picked up the whole event organizing and event facilitating thing really quickly. I was very good. I just had a natural inclination for it. And I was kind of fearless physically, which probably <laughs> probably dangerous. But in a sense, I think I encouraged people to push, some people to push themselves physically. And we, weren't an ex- we weren't like a base jumping group or we weren't like an extreme sport group. Or flash mob or anything like that. That, that came later. Right. But, um, but uh, you know, the, the people in the, in, in, in the group were mostly pretty average normal people myself included you know and uh, there were some smart people and some funny people but we weren't athletes we weren't dancers we weren't actors we weren't thespians none of us there were there were a couple of artists but you know it wasn't it was really just kind of a, a kind of normal sampling of like mid-20s people in san francisco students and people are working and people were going to grad degrees or whatever and um so I hung out with them, and at this point in time now, most of those people are pushing 70 or older. Some of them are dying. Out of that original crew of people, I still know a bunch. There's some that have hung out in the area. A lot of them just kind of settled in, you know, nothing against it. They settled in and had their jobs and their normal lives, and they maybe never did, you know, they climbed the Golden Gate Bridge one time, and they did some crazy events a couple times, and... uh, and then, uh, and then that was kind of it. And then they go, went on. They remember it fondly. Other people kept doing weird stuff. Other people moved into their careers or their artistic worlds out of the Suicide Club. And the Suicide Club had an incredible influence on people who were in it because it encouraged people to explore their ideas and fantasies. So there were several people who ended up in careers that were initially formulated by events that they were doing in the Suicide Club. One friend of mine 
who was an unemployed dishwasher who dropped out of college. And he was a nice guy, but he was, didn't seem – he was kind of listless at the time. But he came, came to the Suicide Club events, and then he started really getting into abandoned buildings. And he started really loving abandoned – because we went into a lot of abandoned buildings. He started studying abandoned buildings, started reading about them. And he started going to the library and reading – started going to the uh, California Historical Society and reading about them. Ended up becoming a historian, <laughs> okay, a real historian, like a noted historian. Um, another guy ended up becoming a, a serious uh, – nation-renowned uh, investigator and he had started doing like detective games in the suicide club and wow. then his love of that kind of grew and he ended up getting a job for a detective agency awesome and he's today still an investigator yeah um a woman who's a professional costumer who just did costumes for events and she does costumes for the opera and for the sisters of perpetual indulgence and makes a living in the costume so a lot of people found their careers through that group the idea was that we weren't going to damage our environment it's like you're 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 if you're going into an abandoned area or or a place you're not supposed to be you're visiting you're you know you don't go in and trash the place you don't break the door down to get in you figure out how to get in and then leave and leave no trace in the place that whole leave no trace philosophy at burning man came from the suicide club we'd go into an abandoned building throw a giant party have a potluck dinner we'd carry our fucking garbage out of an abandoned building that's how retarded we were and how serious we were about the philosophy it's conscientious oh yeah yeah and and so and and, and it was a, it was an important thing and it really helped form my morality and ethics in the, in the ensuing decades and it's like oh you can do stuff that they don't want you to do you just have to have a you have to be fucking straight up about it you have to not be you know like have a hidden agenda and not be trying to like you know rip somebody off or fuck somebody over prank i mean pranking if you're a good prankster you know, you have to be able to take a prank, you know. I mean, you're a sadist if you can't take a prank, you know. And the pranks shouldn't be too ugly either, they, you know. A little bit, a little pushy, but, you know, nothing too terrible, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, nowadays, I mean, so, so, so a lot of those folks I ran with then are either, you know, they're done or retired, and there are a couple of them still doing interesting things. Don Heron still does a Dash Hammett walking tour 43 years later and stuff like that. But then there's another crew, the next crew, or they're all like, five to ten years younger than me, or like my age and then maybe five years younger. And then that crew is also, a lot of them have settled down now. And then there's another crew, like early Cacophony and, and early Burning Man. There's another crew of people I ran with who are mostly, like they'd be 10 to 15 years younger than me, you know, and they're in their 40s and, and 50s now, 40s, late 40s. And, uh, and a lot of them are starting to settle down now. And so I'm it running happens. around. Yeah, I'm running around with the t- 20 to 35 year olds mostly now. And I got way back into urbex. They call it urbex. We used to call it urban exploration. Okay. And the first time I ever heard the term urban exploration was from Gary Warren, and that was in 1977. I have no idea if he coined the term or not, but I had never heard it, seen it, or was aware of it anywhere else. Um, we did not invent going into abandoned buildings. Fucking 5,000 years ago, people were sneaking into Grecian temples, you know, like Sumerian temples, right? Sure. I and mean, we didn't invent that. But with that said, you know, we did, as, as a group, I think we kind of kind of formalized it in a way. I mean, I think we're one of the first groups in modern times to formalize that whole thing. And that was a, that was a new, kind of a new thing. So, so the crews I run around with now, and they're all underground. They don't, you don't hear about them. They don't advertise online, you know, and uh, they're doing uh, urban, ex- urban exploration now is, is way more involved and way more extensive than it was in the 70s. Urban exploration is a, is a worldwide phenomenon, and that's good and bad. Mm-hmm. Some really good things about it. I can go to almost any major city in the world, and I'll know somebody who knows somebody there who will show me their tunnels. Right. And if I, they come here, San Francisco is not a great town for urbex because there aren't a lot of t- there are tunnels. There's some good tunnels, but they're not compared to like compared to like uh, Istanbul or Paris or New York. 
we don't have we are Russia or fucking you know like uh, Moscow. I mean, tunnels, everything. There's all kinds of stuff. San Francisco got some cool stuff though. So if, you know, I've, I've entertained a lot of people from around the world here. Well, we were um, just speaking of. Um, uh, we were trying to figure out where where you were in the Maritime Museum. I was just over there the other night. I, I whatever. I'm not going to say why, but oh, <laughs> but I but I noticed what must uh-oh, have been an old doing? rail tunnel. <laughs> an old like we I kind of parked with friends. Like uh, it's kind of like Van Ness and North Point, like yeah. where the bus turnaround yeah, the parking is, yeah. lot. Yeah, there's a there's. And there's like tracks going into a rail tunnel. Oh, that tunnel that's an old railway tunnel, yeah. Yeah. Go right through the hill, right underneath Fort Mason. Yeah, I've been in it many, many times, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm personally, I've never done any of the tunnel exploration, but I'm, I'm totally fucking fascinated by it. Because well, we, because, because they're there. I think that's that thing we we're talking about. Like, it's there, just. Well, it's a, it's a worldwide thing. I mean, Australia is a huge fucking place for, they call it, uh, uh, they're drainers. They call them drains. Actually, they call that in Europe, too. But uh, there's a there's been a lot like a long long history of underground exploring the, the drains in, in Australia and the major cities in Australia, Europe, the catacombs in Paris I've been in many times and I know a lot of Parisian explorers a lot, mm-hmm. and they're super cool and these they some of the stuff gets out every once in a while somebody breaks out and writes a book or does a book or like the movie about the mole people. Well, that's yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah, yeah. That, th- those are the old Conrail those tunnels on York. the Upper West Side in New York, and yeah. I, I've been in those. I was down there when they had probably 300 people living down there, something like that. And uh, a lot of painters, painters were working there, were a lot of really, really great murals. A lot of painters, Julia Solis, who's uh, started the group Dark Passage in New York City in '99. She's a, kind of one of the early people in this newest, newer wave of urban exploration. And she was inspired by the Suicide Club, by all the people who've done urban exploring the Suicide Club. And uh, she was in L.A. Cacophony in the early 90s when I met her. And then she moved to New York in the mid-late 90s. And uh, we were very close friends. And she formed her own underground exploration group called Dark Passage. And they're really extreme. And they do not, she does not give a fuck about attention. She does it to do it. It's like, they do the most amazing stuff in the world. She'd be incredibly famous if she was promoting herself that way. But she does not care. She could have a show on percent. 100% like uh, into the aesthetics of doing it and she was an influence on Ninjalicious who was the guy if you study Urbex he was a kid from Toronto who uh, wrote uh, a zine called Infiltration back in the 90s starting kind of the mid 90s and it became one pre-internet pre when everybody was hooked up on the internet it became a zine if you remember the zine scene I was going to say zines zine. were kind of the last thing before the internet right? yeah they were starting a lapse before that but yeah. it was still going and infiltration was the underground exploration scene and so people subscribed to it all around all over the world and so he was kind of one of the main central kind of figures who helped promote the idea of like how to you know how to do it right the, the ethics of underground exploration and julia had a big influence on him and she had gotten her some of her influence from the Suicide Club. So a lot, of, I think, a lot of the leave no trace attitude that uh, that really good urban explorers have. They they don't leave anything. They don't touch anything. They kind of like you, they weren't there. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of that comes from you know at least partially a little bit from from San Francisco and from our attitudes here. Gary Warren wrote a thing which he called the Twelve Chaotic Principles. And he did that about five months into the Suicide Club. And each of the chaotic principles was based on some event that we did that blew up in our face for different reasons. And it's like, well, don't do this because then this will happen. And, uh, you know, the Leave No Trace was uh, part of, you know, it was like, it wasn't literally Leave No Trace, but that was one of the, one of the dictums. And it wasn't, like he's, it wasn't like he sent it out in the Suicide Club newsletter and then everybody had to do it. Right. That wasn't the plan. I mean, Suicide Club was not a dictatorial group. It was a loose-knit anarchist group in its essence in that, 
anybody could be a member, anybody could do an event, and the editorship of the newsletter, which is a paper newsletter that mailed out once a month, it rotated, and everyone was expected, to, so no one controlled that. The mailing list and the, the little bit of money that people paid for the, uh, for the newsletter, which is, you know, maybe 100 bucks a month or less, probably 50 bucks a month, we had a treasurer, and that rotated every four months, so nobody controlled it. The people who started it kind of let go of it. The event, individual events that people did, you had to do what the event organizer said or else you couldn't come on their event. You had to agree. It was a, the whole thing was about agreement. You get together and a group of people, we're going to do something we're not supposed to do. It's illegal, right? We don't think it's immoral, you know, but it is illegal. You can get in trouble for it. You have to understand that you can get in trouble for it. You have to agree that you're choosing yourself. Of, we're not making you do it. To, to, to do this thing and to like trespass or sneak into a building or whatever. You have to agree to that as an adult. And if you, if you don't, then don't come and it's fine. No hard feelings. We understand. And uh, there's a, on the newsletter events, we'd have a little, there's a little catchphrase that said, uh, ID required. If it said ID required, that meant that it was an illegal event. That's all you needed to know. We, did, we knew better than to write, this is illegal. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. so ID required, and it's like, okay. So some people didn't want to break the law, and they wouldn't come. Fair enough, they wouldn't come. Other people would think about what it was, and then they would choose to come. The idea was that people would have, like, adult agreements about what they were doing in order to do these incredibly non-sanctioned societal things, right? And so uh, it was very deliberate. Um, and thoughtful, you know. Is yeah. San Francisco still a good place for ur- urban exploration? Sure. It's, you know, I mean, I don't want to compare it. I mean, new, con- new construction's never been better, you know. So climbing new high-rises, yeah, they're, they're all over the fucking place. I mean, there, there are millions of them. And that's something that's a big urbex thing to do. Um, it's not what my about favorite. the old stuff, though? Like, older stuff? A lot of it's been torn down. A lot of it's been re- totally repurposed. A lot of great buildings are like the old uh, Southern, Southern Railroad Pacific uh, 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 Employees Hospital. You know where the DMV is on, uh, on Oak Street? Right across the street was a giant hospital, Harkness Hospital. It was abandoned in the 70s. And it was this giant, creepy, weird, you know, colonial you know, like building. It takes up a whole block. had a power plant, had everything. had guard dogs, right? And we, that was our playground. We were sneaking into that thing all the time. We were doing games in there. We played... Ring Olivio and the rooftops. We did games where we used the, uh, the the big metal trays in the in the uh, mortuary. You know, we did we did events in the uh, in the uh, operating theaters. Okay, amazing. And w- when we first started going in there in '77, they had these uh, this guard dog, and it was a really scary looking giant black rottweiler, right? And he'd bark at us, and there were like 20 of us, so we kind of like, okay, we'll just he'll be afraid of us, so. The dog, we literally climbed over the fence, went in, and the dog backed up, backed up, backed up, because there were 20 of us, right? Wouldn't attack us. By the time that we left that night, the dog was coming over. We were feeding it and petting him. We kept going. We were going in the building constantly for the next several months. The dog became our pet. And when we showed up, it'd be sitting there, like, jumping up and down and, like, you know, like, come on, here, here you are. And we named him Archie. And, uh, you know, so the, dog, the guard dog was our pal, you know, stuff like that. We'd bring food, you know, for the dog. And so, uh, what was that? What was the point? There's some point there. Is, well, I was just asking: Is San Francisco still good for urban exploration? Yeah, sure is. There are all these tunnels. I'm not going to say where they are. There's a bunch of tunnels. New, new construction. It's risky. I'm not. I'm, I do not sanction or encourage anybody to do this. Certainly, if you don't know how to go about it, you're breaking the law. You sneak into, an, into a new construction site, and they catch you. They're probably going to arrest you. 
it's not pleasant being arrested, especially if it's never happened to you. Okay, you don't want to do it. So you need to think hard about this shit. I'm not encouraging any of your listeners to do anything they shouldn't do. With that said, if you choose to do stuff like that, there, there are protocols for it and there are ways to do it where you're less likely to get hurt, where you're less likely to get caught, and if you are caught, you're less likely to be prosecuted. And those are all things you have to think about. None of this is like, oh, boy, let's get drunk and climb an abandoned building. Don't do that. That's stupid. You know, the Suicide Club, we didn't have rules about these things, but the, the general philosophy was on certain events, no drugs and alcohol at all. I'm climbing the Golden Gate Bridge. If it was my event, it was in the write-up. No drugs and alcohol. Do not bring drugs and alcohol. Don't even bring them. If you have a joint, leave it at home. We dropped. We get, made a guy get out of the car one time. We we're going to climb the Bay Bridge. We we're going to the uh, to uh, Yerba Buena Island to climb the cantilever span, the old cantilever span. And this guy, and he he had been in the suicide club for a while. He knew better. And we asked. I asked everybody. I said, Look, if anybody has any fucking dope, let me know now. And he goes, Well, I got a couple of joints. I'm like, Throw them out the window. He's like, No. I'm not. Why would I throw away good pot? And I'm like, Throw them out the fucking window. You read the write up. You know, it said don't bring any drugs or alcohol. And I'm not a moralist about it. You know, I mean, I partied plenty, but. He wouldn't do it, and I said, "You get out of my car. I'm going to leave you here on the street corner, you know, in, the, in uh, on Mission and Embarcadero or wherever we were." And I made him get out of the car, and uh, because you got ten people, they're all going to take the hit. At that time, having a couple joints would get you in jail. You know, if the, cop, the cops are looking for a reason to arrest you, you don't want to get. It's the rule of two. If you're doing one stupid thing, don't do two stupid things. You're already breaking the law. Trespassing. Don't do a second stupid thing. You what know? is it? Lastly, what is it about? San Francisco, because you moved around a little bit. Um, I've lived here. What, what, what is it that, consistently? That, what, is it, what is it that made you stay here? Uh, you know, it's a beautiful city. I know everybody here. Um, I have a young son who lives here and he goes to school here. And uh, mom and I share custody. We get along great. We share custody. And I just, you know, I mean, I just, I just went to his teacher parent teacher conference right before I met you guys. He's kicking ass. You know, he plays basketball and he plays piano and I mean I would never leave him you know I mean I can't leave him his mom's not going to move and um, I have a lot of friends here it's a beautiful city there's a great underground scene here still it's not the same as and I don't live in the fucking past okay let me get that straight there's a lot of great stuff happening here it's different you have to have more money there's a, the people who are doing stuff now are a little bit different they're not there's no working class very few working class kids doing this stuff they're mostly people working for the you know on the internet somewhere not all there's some but not that many um, there's still a whole class of people in Oakland that are working class kids who are, you know, working, uh, you know, welders or whatever. And, uh, a lot of them are involved in Burning Man in some capacity or doing some, you know, and that's all good. So there's still a great scene here, but it's way, it's too fucking expensive. It's beyond belief. And it makes it really hard for people to do stuff here. Um, so the people who do stuff are, you know, usually they're able to have a little bit more money or, or a lot more resolve to do it. But there's still shit going on. There's great underground exploration scene here. P- the kids have a little bit more money, so they travel. It's cheaper to you can get a plane fare to Ireland or Iceland for 300 bucks or whatever. I mean, people travel sure. a lot. I go. I've been. I've traveled all over the world to do to exploring. You Are know? you still exploring? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. I was just in a like a crazy. Well, I wasn't exploring literally, but I was in a giant medieval castle in Poland uh, back in September October and. In Paris and the catacombs, you know, with friends there, and and, and other, there are a lot of tunnels in Paris. Um, there, there are tunnels for the uh, subway. There are tunnels. There are tunnels underneath the Opera House. There are steam tunnels. You know, there's and, and and they all interconnect. And if you know how they interconnect, right? So and and the Parisian cops are great. They're like they have like they literally have a 
uh, the labyrinth patrol, like the cops that kind of like try to kick kids out of the out of the catacombs. And if they catch you, they fine you twenty bucks or whatever and kick you out. Like get the fuck out of here. Yeah. They don't arrest you or brace you or beat you up or swat you or anything like they would do here, you know. So, uh, but yeah, there's more of a cosmopolitan thing going on. But it is kids with more money. And there's nothing wrong with it. They're super, super cool. But they, the people don't understand. This is a whole another conversation for five hours. The whole class situation that's happening in this country and in the Western world right now is mortifying. And it's changing things dramatically and really changing things dramatically. Um, I don't know how else to put it. I mean, I come from a working class attitude background. My dad was a college professor, but he was straight working class. My mom's dad was a butcher, you know, and, and, and I came from that attitude. My grandfather was a wobbly you know, union organizer in the 20s. And, I, and so I was raised with that attitude, you know, like working people should get a fair shake. And, you know, the Internet kids don't, they don't, they don't see the bus driver. They don't see the waitress. They don't see, they don't see them. They're just like they don't exist. They don't get it. Mm-hmm. Not all of them, okay. Of course. But a lot of them. And that's really effed up. That's not good. You must be encouraged, though, that there's some of those younger people that are, that are exploring. Oh, yeah. And- yeah, they are. And, and they're, they're usually much more hands-on, realistic people than people who are just stuck in their fucking iPhone and, and they're work building their app or whatever they're doing. And there's nothing wrong with that. I like the Internet. Okay, but it's like people get caught in these fucking imaginary worlds and they don't see and they end up moving to San Francisco, moving to an incredibly beautiful Victorian place, make enough money working for Google that they can remodel, strip out the interior, strip out the entire Victorian interior, put in these horrifying, monstrous fucking faux Bauhaus, like, you know, stripped interiors, you know, and then paint the thing gray. That was John Law. Watch out for a bonus episode with John coming out over this weekend. And join us next week when we'll hear from tattoo artist Stephanie Smith. Music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald. Film photography is by Michelle Kilbetter. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date on everything we do. Find the more than 70 episodes on our website, storiedsf.com, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If that happens to be Apple Podcasts and you have a minute to spare, please rate and review the show for us. Send comments or suggestions to storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.